Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Good morning. Good to see you today. Uh, I'd love for you to just, again, open your hearts because I, I believe God has a word for you today. And also just uh, want to recognize and welcome the online community. We're just now going online right now. I want to welcome you guys and thank you for joining us. So uh, but first of all, I, uh, I, I want to thank some of the volunteers who were, who were here with us yesterday. Um, <clears throat> we have begun the process of reordering our space in this building over in the children's wing. And so I just want to thank Ian, Amber, Adam, Lena, Jagar, and Thomas for coming out and helping out. And there's a lot more that's going to be happening over the next few weeks. If you have questions about any of this, good people to talk to would be Amber. That's the lady right over there. She's waving at the whole church, whole congregation, sitting there with her wonderful husband, Adam. And or you can ask Ian, who was up here in the middle singing just a few moments ago. Also, uh, go ahead and get your Bibles open. I'm going to have you open up to two locations. One is going to be in the book of Isaiah. Old, excuse me, I, I decided not to give you the Isaiah one. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 22. We are looking at Isaiah, but that's not one we're looking at. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and they're putting those up on the screen. And also John chapter 11. So Philippians 1, 12, John 11. Get that Philippians 1 handy, and John 11 we'll do a little later in the message. So the title of my message today is Wait. It's wait. Now, it's funny because I think I'm almost acting a little schizophrenic here because last Sunday, I, my, my message title was go. And now I'm saying, but wait. And, and this is all part of the Time Is Now series, though, and this all fits in because this is really, this is a word from God for us just as strong as the word go. So I'll just be honest with you, I don't like the word wait. I, I've never, never really like it. I mean, as a, as a guy who's kind of wired up a lot, I just, it just, that word, that word wait just makes me feel more restless because then I realize I can't move. I can't do anything. That word wait just, just makes me feel like nothing's going to be able to happen because I want to be on the go. I want to make things happen. But the truth is in my life, I've been through some very grueling uh, waiting seasons and they're not comfortable. It's, it's when you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and when I first felt in my heart several weeks ago that I was to preach on this particular message and, and this, this topic, really in my own heart, I kind of pushed back. I thought, nah, you know, I'm not hearing from God on this. But then every time I was reading in the scriptures, and I'm telling you like every day, I would see elements of this, this, this word weight built into the scriptures. And it just seemed like everything that I was reading was talking about waiting. And so I gave up my fighting and I gave in to what I believe that God wanted to, wanted to have us here today. So, so that's why I, I've made the sermon title as clear as possible. The sermon title itself is Wait. One word. And I, I, I decided it should be wait just to keep me focused on my studies, all right? But waiting is actually a very important component of the gospel. Uh, I've discovered there's provision in the weight. There's progress in the weight. There's also power in the weight. I, I, I remember the, the frustration of the weight situation, that, that word weight, 
when I was in eighth grade, I had this really interesting eighth grade science teacher. Honestly, he was a great teacher. I learned a lot in there. But, but at the end of classes at the school I went to, there would be this bell that would ring. You know, the bell, it just rings. And, and, it, and when that bell rings, like in, in every class, kids grab their stuff, they get up, they head out of the room. But not in Mr. McCarley's science class. Nope. Now, here's the way it worked. He told us on the very first day how it was going to work. We all, we all tested him, and I'll tell you what, it, we, it was going to be done his way. The bell would ring, but we weren't allowed to stop anything at all until he said, okay, gather your books. Now, this, that wasn't a big deal because none of us carried backpacks in those days. We just all got our books together, and we, we put them in a pile, gather your, he said, gather, gather your things. So we would do that with his instruction, and then he would just say, wait. Wait, and so we'd be sitting there, and there's this gnawing feeling, knowing that all of my friends are leaving the classes, they're in the hallways, I need to get to my locker, do that crazy combination, get my stuff, and head over to my next class, and we couldn't be tardy. And then he would say, that right, right after that, he would say, all right, stand up. So we would all stand up, but could not do anything. So gather your things, stand up, See, it's annoying. Just there's that pause right there, isn't it? It just is. <laughs> then he would say, push your chairs under, and we would all hear. <laughs> then he'd say, dismissed. We're like, thank God. So we headed out. But that was every single time in class. It was gather your things, stand up, push your chair under, dismissed. It still rings in my head today, and it still causes me a little bit of anxiety when I think about how he made us just wait just for those seconds in there. But, you know, it, it worked well. It worked well. It was orderly, but unbelievably annoying, especially for a restless 13, 14-year-old boy. But, but this principle of waiting, waiting is very, very scriptural. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says this. It's on the screens. It says, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. That's important. New strength comes those who wait on the Lord. Now, the next part is actually a description of what that new strength looks like. It says, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run, not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. So that, there, there is power in the weight. There's, there's new strength. And I tell you, I've studied this passage many, many times. It's one of my favorite passages in the scripture, but it always intrigues me. And, and this time I, I like honed in on that principle of there's this thing called, I, I just called it strength renewal. Strength renewal comes from just waiting on the Lord. But, but, but really what we're up against is this, uh, this mental and spiritual battle against waiting. And, and let's just call it what it is. It's restlessness. Restlessness is a battle. Uh, the dictionary defines restlessness as this. And, and looking through this, I thought, yeah, this is exactly what I'm preaching about today. It's something we have to resist. It's an unwillingness or inability to be still, quiet, or at peace. Wow. A lack of patience, irritation with anything that causes delay. So today, if there's anything you, you want to do, it, you, you definitely want to try to crush this restlessness in your life. 
fact, I believe it's, it's, a, it's a godly thing to do because there's a promise that's attached to it, and that is strength renewal. So I want you to embrace the weight, and it's, it's not easy. No, no, it's not easy, especially when you have, have sought God, you've prayed, you've fasted, and, and, and you're still waiting. You know, we, we like things to come quickly. We want our miracles to come quickly. I do, but most miracles don't come quickly. In fact, a lot of times when you're praying for something, believing for something, it tends to get worse before the miracle comes through. And that's when we begin to question God. You know, you've probably done this. Why, God? Why? Why? What's going on? The pain worsens, the darkness gets darker, and the situation that you're stuck in becomes more desperate and all the while you keep saying, yeah, but God is faithful, but all you can feel and all you can see is hopelessness. And I want, I want to let you know that all of that is actually normal. That's what happens. In fact, I, but I want you to remember this, that we are God's agents on this earth. And God never promised us that it was always just going to be peachy keen and happy. Our, our, one of our primary roles, in fact, our primary role really on this earth, uh, other than worshiping God, is to bring other people with us to heaven. Now, here at our church, we use a three-word saying that goes along with that, that really is, is that calling on us. We say, we say it like making Jesus known. That's what we want to do. We want to make Jesus known. But ultimately, it's about bringing people to heaven with us. So, so what we do, scripturally, you've heard me preach about this a million times, is we partner with God in one way or another based upon our gifts and our anointings and how God's working in our lives, where we're placed in society. But we, we work with God, we partner with God to spread the gospel in, in all these variety of ways. But the weight is actually part of God's strategy to spread the gospel. I saw that so clear when preparing this message. Now, now I want you to look at Philippians chapter number 1, verse 12. I asked you to turn there a few moments ago. You see, when the Apostle Paul was in prison, he was awaiting trial. He was going to appear before Caesar. Uh, during that time, he wasn't able to do the stuff that he normally did. He was no longer able to plant churches. He was no longer able to travel and encourage congregations and to preach. He was no longer able to uh, encourage pastors and minister to them and take them, uh, take them aside and disciple them. All he could do was sit and wait. In fact, we know that he had to wait for several years, years I'm talking, in a Roman prison. But in, in the midst of that misery of waiting, this powerful man of God, this man who was full of faith, what he did is he just kept doing stuff. He kept writing letters to pastors. He kept writing letters to churches. One of those letters is what we call the letter to the church at Philippi. So we call it Philippians. That's, that's what it's called. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances, what are his circumstances? He's stuck in jail for years, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, now, now keep in mind, he's literally chained to a Roman guard 24-7. According to what I've read and understand about this is that every six hours, there would be these six-hour shifts, every six hours, a new guard would come in and chain himself to the prisoner. I, and can, can you imagine that? For years, he, Paul didn't have any privacy. And I, I mean, 
if, if that were me, I would just be rebuking those chains in the name of Jesus. You know, chains, you know, I'd be singing songs about let the chains fall off. I, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be doing all that, but, but it's really interesting. He wasn't able to advance or do anything physically. He wasn't even able to preach to the churches anymore, but he was moving forward spiritually. And, and I like this because that little, that little scripture right there in Philippians, he addresses those guys as, do you see it? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. He's basically saying, I'm, I'm writing this and I'm saying this to those of you who believe like I believe, those who trust Jesus like I trust Jesus, to those who are as passionate about spreading the gospel as I am. He's saying, I want you to know that in the middle of my horrible situations, as I sit here and wait and wait and wait, there's actually something that's happening that's turning out to be for a greater progress of the gospel because I'm sitting here waiting. To say it differently, it's this. The progress of the gospel is greater than my circumstances. The progress of the gospel is greater than my circumstances. So, so, you know, while you're waiting, while you're in your prison, while you're chained to a problem that you can't fix, and then another problem comes, and another one, and another one comes, you're, you're, you're stuck in a situation that you can't change. While you wait, remember what Paul is saying. Don't lose heart. Don't let your soul be tore apart. In fact, let your soul be restored during this time. Don't drop out. Stay engaged with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul would have people come to visit him. He would spend time with them because, because what you can't see in the middle of your waiting time is what God's actually doing behind the scenes. Paul says that his situation is for a greater progress of the gospel. And, and I was thinking about that, and, and really you could make a mathematical equation out of that. You, you really can. If you take the mathematical greater symbol, you can set it up like this. The gospel is greater than my circumstances. Now, I do have that pointed in the right direction, right? The gospel, thank you. Those of you who love math, I, I, I struggled with it for a second. I looked it up. I made sure, because I always used to get those messed up when I was in school. Thank goodness I don't have to do it in school anymore. Now I just do it in front of a crowd. But the gospel is greater than my circumstances. And God, God wants you to understand that. He wants you to know that what he's doing in you is going to be results from the weight, and it's going to be greater than the circumstances that you're now facing. That's why you can have joy during the wait. That's why you can have peace right here, right now, and you can praise him even while you're in your prison. See, the outcome will be worth the wait. Now, I, I was thinking about that, and, and Paul and Silas, they were in prison. That was actually the first time that Paul was put in prison. And, and, and at that time, he was chained up, and he was in stocks, and, and they started singing, and every, all the chains fell off. And I, I still think, well, I don't know why he didn't do that in Rome. But, but still, I was thinking about that, above that, that there is Paul, and he's with Silas in that first imprisonment, and in the middle of that ugly situation, he just started to sing praise in the middle of the night. Started singing praise, singing praise, singing praise. Basically, he had this mindset. The mindset of, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. See, Paul also wrote this little scripture passage to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. He says, we know that God causes all things to work together. There are two words there. You see it? for good. I'll say it again. 
we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. You love God? You love God? Are you called according to his purpose? Okay, this applies to you. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. In other words, (laughs) if it's not good yet, God's not finished yet. If it's not good yet, then God isn't finished. And so you don't have to get restless. You don't have to move into despair and hopelessness or try to force the situation. No, you can abide in peace and joy right in the middle of your crisis or even in the middle of your famine. So my challenge is crush, crush, crush that restlessness because the outcome is worth the wait. God's working behind the scenes. Now, if I'm going to take a road trip in my car, like a long road trip, I have learned from experience, trust me, from experience, that I need to do some things to the automobile before I head off on the road. Uh, I, I remember one time, Rebecca and I, we, uh, we were, my, my pastor called him up, so I was worked on a church staff, and, and we, we were allowed to have uh, six days of vacation in, in a year. And that's, that's true, we got a whole six days. And, and so... He, he called me up and he said, hey, I know you have your vacation scheduled out here to, like, it was to, to go visit family or something. He said, but, but uh, you're not going to be able to go during that time. I'm going to have to tell you to cancel your vacation. But we ta- he said, I talked to the board. We're able to give you some money so you can go on vacation and you have to leave tomorrow morning. And so I'm like, well, you know, it's either do this or nothing. So, so I get, well, let's see. I, I told Rebecca, I said, sweetheart, uh, there's a check waiting for us. If we, like, they're going to give me money to go away, but I can't go away on my vacation. So whatever. So, so we said, great, but there was no auto prep prior. And our car broke down almost every day, flats and problems. One time, I remember she was, she was putting on some, some like eye makeup or something like that in the car, and, and we had a blowout. We actually lost three tires on that trip. But, but we, we had like a tire blowout, and you know, the car kind of shifted and bumped. And she said, would you please drive softer? Please, I almost poked my eye out. I said, no, we just had a blowout. But that, it was crazy. It was it was the craziest vacation ever. But I've learned that if you're going to go out and have an adventure, if you're going to go out and have a good time on a road trip, especially a long one, you need to do some vehicle prep. So I take it to the shop and, and I make sure my fluid levels are good and I get my tires rotated and, and aired up. And if they have low tread, get the tire replaced, uh, you know, get the oil changed, you know, whatever needs to be done, let's get it all done, get this ready because I'm going to do this before I take my car on the road. And all of that, all that's happening while you're sitting in this thing called a waiting room. And it's a waiting room that has this fresh aroma of, of oil and a little bit of gasoline and, and rubber. It's just, I don't know, for men, it does kind of smell good. It, it, it actually, I don't know, it does kind of smell nice. But, but it's just this, this, this smell that you're in there with in this waiting room. But the outcome is going to be worth the wait because we'll have a great road trip and we don't have to go back and do that other road trip we had in our 1986 Red Hyundai ever again. We won't do that ever again. See, see, God is telling you to wait because in the waiting, he's preparing you for something. It's, it's like he's giving you a tune-up. He's changing your oil. You might be uncomfortable, but he's putting some new tires on you, maybe giving you some 
transmission fluid and, and a new air filter. But, but he's doing this because the outcome is going to be worth the wait. Now I ask you to turn to John chapter 11. I want you to look over there because we're going to dive into several little parts of this story. Uh, it's the story of Lazarus. Now it takes up a total of 46 verses and I wrestled with it, but I decided I'm not going to read it all. But I want to show you a few things in the story. So again, first of all, the story of Lazarus is a very common Bible story. It's taught to children. Uh, who knows, it might be teaching it to them today. But and, and most people know how it turns out. I'll just tell you, Lazarus dies and he is raised from the dead. Okay, so there, there's, a, there's what happens there. But I want you to understand that as I was reading through it recently, I was struck, struck with the, what I would call the theology of the weight that is built into this story. You see, there are these two sisters and a brother who all live together. Now, this family, uh, they, they were very close friends of Jesus, and we know that it's Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were, they were financially well off, and they were also very major supporters of Jesus' ministry. So they, they helped take care of Jesus and the disciples, and, and they were huge proponent, proponents of what Jesus and the disciples were doing. So they lived in this little community called Bethany. Now, Bethany was basically like a little suburb of the larger city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the hub of all the spiritual activity in Israel. So Jesus and his disciples... Uh, at that time, at the time this happens, they're not anywhere near Jerusalem. They're not close by because just a few days earlier, some of the Jewish leaders had tried to stone Jesus to death there in Jerusalem. And, uh, and that got pretty awkward. So what they did is, is they, they went out to this remote area. It's about probably about a day or two, more like a two-day walk from Bethany. And, and while they are out there, of course, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so the family, they know where Jesus is. They're always keeping up with him. So Lazarus became very sick. He became very ill. So they sent a courier with a message to go out there and tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, the one you love. Now that close person, that close friend, close supporter of your ministry, he's very sick. And, and the hope was is that Jesus would immediately come and heal Lazarus. But what happened? Well, Okay, look in chapter 11, verse 4, and we're going to see what happened. It says, but when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not meant for death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. It almost sounds like what Paul was saying about what, hap what, was, what his situation was like being stuck in prison. It's all for the glory of God. Good things come out of this. So what he's saying is that this illness is going to exalt God. Now, right there, I mean, that, that's a big lesson for us because God wants to glorify himself by demonstrating his power over sickness while we wait. While we wait. Now, I want you to look at the next verse, verse number five of John 11. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's an important part of the story or it wouldn't have been put there. He really loved these guys. So, that's, that's like, okay, understand the, the language here. So, or therefore, or based upon that love, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Now, does that strike you as weird? Does it, maybe that's a typo. I didn't think they were typing in those days. Maybe it was a scripto. They, I don't know what they did, but he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So he decided, I'm just going to stay here now that I've heard the news that Lazarus is deathly ill. I'm just going to stay here right now. I, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and heal him. Now, keep in mind, he waited, he stayed because he loved them. Now, if it were me, I mean, if it were me, I mean, if I heard of a close friend was near death, or I mean, I wouldn't waste a minute. I'd immediately go visit, pray, comfort, minister, however, but not Jesus. I mean, he would have been a terrible pastor, but I guess he's the ultimate <laughs> pastor, so uh, I don't know. I don't even know what to think about that. I, it just, it, if, if, you know, if I find out that you're like on your deathbed, I say it's for the Lord's glory, and I'm just going to stay away. I, I don't know what to think about that, but, but this, this is what Jesus did. Uh, we're supposed to model our lives after him, but this one's a bit strange. And it's strange for a reason. It's to get our attention. So, but here's the principle right here. God's love is often demonstrated in the wait. But you may not feel lovely, and you may not feel loved by God, but it's demonstrated in the wait. I mean, you're, 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 your weight might be absolutely unbearable, but God is demonstrating his love toward you in the wait. Now, obviously, the disciples who were with Jesus were pretty happy about this decision that Jesus made. I mean, they're like, okay, good, because they didn't want Jesus going back because the Jews were going to stone him. And they, you can read about it in that whole story. And they're, they're going to stone him. They're going to stone us as well. So, so they were kind of happy about this. Well, thank the Lord Jesus is not going out there because we don't want to die. So a couple of days later then, the time goes by, Jesus just gathers the disciples and says, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to go ahead and go see Lazarus. And then he says, because he's fallen asleep. Um, the disciples begged him, no, 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 no. We don't need to go. That's not a good idea. They're going to kill us. They're going to stone us. And, and they say, in fact, if he's sleeping, I mean, come on, Jesus, he'll wake up. It, it's it's, it's going to be okay. And Jesus kind of, in my mind, he just kind of rolled his eyes and they said, uh, and, he, and he does like this. He just, uh, okay, he's dead. All right, all right, let me just tell you, he's dead. So look at, look at verse 14, because that's where he says it. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus died. Now, you're going to begin to sense some of Jesus' frustration here. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there so that you'll believe. But let's go to him. So, now, now, now think about this. So Jesus is glad. He just said it right there. He is glad that they didn't go earlier. It's a reminder that God's timing is not like ours. We think logical, we think practical, but quite often that's the opposite of what God wants to do. So they're on their way. You know, Thomas, as we know him as Doubting Thomas, he stirred all the other disciples up and with a bunch of negativity, and he says, wow, that's great. So he's dead. So why don't we just all go die with him? <laughs> this is a fun trip, Jesus. 
I, and this is all built into this story, and it's there for a reason to help you see that Jesus is getting more and more frustrated with this whole situation. This is a perfect storm that's being set up. So when Jesus finally arrives near Bethany, uh, the sisters, old, you know, the, the story of how they meet him and everything, but, but the, ultimately they were glad to see him, but they were both very disappointed that Jesus did not immediately come and heal Lazarus. Again, they saw the weight as being detrimental. But Jesus was using the weight to demonstrate the massive power of God. But no one got it. The disciples were mad at him for going. They were upset that they were even there. The sisters are all disappointed that he didn't come earlier. And then it says that Mary was out there just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Verse 33 says this, it says, he was deeply moved in spirit. Look at verse 33, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. In fact, Jesus even sobbed and wept himself as a result. Because around him, even their friends were starting to mock Jesus because he didn't come heal his friend. What kind of a friend is that? You know, there's a lesson for us right there. When things don't go our way and we have to wait, when things don't look good and they even look worse than they were before, don't blame God. But that's what they were doing. You know, there's that two-word verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's in, that's where it is. It's in this story. Some say Jesus was weeping because Lazarus died. But if you read that story, that's not why he's weeping. No, not at all. He is frustrated and he's dealing, the Bible always says he's dealing with anguish because they're not getting it. They're not getting this at all. But see, the weight is the breeding ground for the greatest miracle. I mean, God wants to do bigger things than you and I can imagine. And ultimately, it's to advance the gospel. Ultimately, it's for God to get glory. Ultimately, it's about people's eyes being open to the power and the might and the majesty of God. But throughout this story, really from the beginning, you see that Jesus is frustrated with everyone's lack of faith. And, they, and, and here at the end, I mean, they're literally trying to talk Jesus out of working a miracle and raising him from the dead because they think it's too late. <laughs> so before he commands Lazarus to come out of the grave, look, look at verse 41 in your Bible. Before commanding Lazarus to come out of the grave, he loudly praise this prayer for everyone to hear. He did this not for his own sake. He did this in a sense to prove a point. So you can feel his angst in here. Jesus says, Father, all these people around, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew you always hear me. You all listening to this? You all, God always hears me. But nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said that so that you'll believe, so that they'll believe that you sent me. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. That's when that man came out of the tomb, walking, alive. He'd been dead for four days. Now, looking back at the story, it's easy to see everybody's lack of faith. It's easy to even understand Jesus' frustration with the situation. But it's easy for us because we're on the other side of the miracle. We know how it all turns out. We know the results. The truth is, so often we're, we're like the other characters in the story. 
during the wait, feeling like, oh, we're doomed, we're doomed. Again, it's too late for God to do anything. This thing's gone too far. We gave our request. God didn't answer. And we're, we're just like restlessly agitated that God didn't come through according to our timetable. And we had to wait. Guys, my challenge again is this. Crush your restlessness because the outcome is worth the wait. In the middle of your frustration, needing a miracle, waiting on God to finally come around, let your faith soar. Let your heart be at ease and don't drop out. Don't blame God. Don't give up. And, and as, I, as, as I was coming to the close of the my preparation of this message, I, you know, I, I want to pray for everyone. But I thought, I bet Paul has some good words that we can pray. I found the scripture, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. During your wait, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. I want to pray this over you right now. Any of you who are watching online as well as in this room, I want you just to receive this prayer. God, I pray for every person who's here, every person who's watching, every person who's even going to hear about this message later or listen to the podcast. I pray that the God of hope will fill and saturate every single one of you during your, your waiting time, during this dry season, that you will have, you will be just be filled, flooded with joy. <laughs> You're going to be able to laugh in the middle of the pain. You're going to be flooded with peace when anxiety seems like that's what should be taking over. And it's because you believe. And I pray, God, that everyone, that we will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are going through some really intense waiting right now. And you might feel like you're just barely holding on. Before you leave this room, I want you just to give it to God. And know that it's worth the wait because the outcome, that outcome, it's going to be wonderful. If it ain't good, and God's not yet not done, you know. Be encouraged in the Lord. In fact, will you just all across this room, will you all just stand with me right now? Will you stand with me? If you're going through a waiting time, would you just lift your hands to the Lord and just, just kind of give him the weight of the weight? Just give it to him. Just give it to him. Come on, just, just give it to God. Just give it to God right now. Give it to God. God, I give this to you. I give this to you. Locked up in this waiting room, I give this to you. It's your blessing. Let your blessing, let your blessing be upon every single one of my days, 
Let your blessing be upon my family. Let your blessing be upon the work of my hands. Let your blessing be upon every element of what's going on. Even if it gets worse, I'm not going to give up on you, God. I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to be impatient with you because I know, God, that the outcome will be worth the wait. Give you that frustration and replace it now with peace and joy and life and hope. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church Podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.